Hey everyone and welcome back to the It's Good to Talk podcast. So today we are joined by Angelus X from Twitch. Um, we're going to be talking about basically his story and going from there and seeing um, just how certain things, especially um, when it comes to, to, to mental health and uh, abuse and all sorts of different things, that it can affect, affect absolutely everybody. Um, and although there is different experiences and different interactions, of course, um, it is something that we need to be aware and be open about talking about it's something that's often kind of uh, whittled away into the background. So, um, how are you doing, Angelus? I'm good. It's been a it's been a bit of a busy, rough week, but things are starting to look up. So I'm I'm doing pretty good now. Okay, good, 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 good. So, I mean, obviously, you you stream on Twitch and, and things like that, but uh, and you've you've opened up about your story. I, I know you you did a. I can't quite remember whether it was, it was a blog or um, an interview, but I know you've opened up online about um, your experiences and everything. Um, but if you'd just like to tell everyone what your experience is um, and kind of give it a little bit of background and, and your journey, basically. Okay, well, um, to, to put it in the simplest terms, I have survived mental, physical and sexual abuse starting from when I was a kid. And it ranged from encounters with kids, older kids when I was a younger kid, and those things where you are put into a position where it's you trust your your peers around you, your older kids who you know you kind of looked up to because you thought they were cool, and they suggested games, and you know it evolved into things that went inappropriate. But when you're a kid. You don't really realize it then because this was back in the late 80s. Yeah. Mid to late 80s. So kids didn't have the same kind of education they get now when it comes to inappropriate touching and, you know, conversations and things. And then progressing from there, a lot of bullying, which everybody on the planet has experienced bullying at some point. But it just adds to the weight up to a horrible, my first marriage was very young very dumb and there was a lot of mental abuse from my wife who had weaponized sex and used it as a means of making me feel less than i was worth along with some other things so it's been a long time of from that point when we split up which would have been my early late teens around 19 i believe 20 so i spent 20 years now now at 43 it's taken me a very long journey to get from that mess broken spirit person i was who ended up homeless for a short time then to where i am now having been in the game industry now streaming i've done work from everything ranging from restaurants i cooked in my late early 20s and i was working the carnival when i was a teenager and logistics for Walmart, working for a courier company. So I've been all over the place. Yeah. And it's taken a long time to get to the point where I'm at now. When I published my story, which is much more elegantly written because I'm a writer at heart than I am at being able to communicate it verbally. Yeah. To get to the point where I could share that and where I've healed from that. And now for post-pandemic, in this pandemic world of ours now, the last year and a half has been learning how to socialize again. Yeah. And that's in part because of my wife now, who I've been with now for 17 years and the the progress I've made largely due to her influence on my life. 
and experiences that have happened since where I've grown up, matured, and come to terms with everything I experienced as a kid and a teenager that, you know, it's, it's a very lengthy process and it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's when, it, when it's something like that, it's so ingrained into you that, that you don't really realize that you need to one that you need to do anything and two, mm -hmm. how to do it. If you do realize you need to do anything, because obviously, you know, I mean, I can, I can confirm the, the early, uh, the late eighties, definitely there was bugger all real um, uh, education for anybody. I mean, I remember, I still remember, there being massive discussions in the late 90s, early 2000s about whether we should give sex ed classes and things like that to kids because it's bad influence. Yeah. And like, no, it, it lets them know things like this, that actually, mm -hmm. you know, this would be inappropriate. This would yes. be okay. This, you know, because there's so many different interactions you can have at that age. I mean, I was, um, I was training in martial arts and, and um, graded in martial arts in 89. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there would have been, you know, luck, I mean, I say I say luckily as if it's it as if the the opposite is is more uh, prevalent but of course it's not but I there would have been the easy opportunity for someone to have taken advantage of me at that age and yeah. they didn't but would I have known any better if they had I don't know I was mm -hmm. a very young child um and as you say there's there's nothing towards anybody you know even though yeah. I was at school so um even if it's just something to kind of go look this is bad this is fine something is helpful you know um mm -hmm. and so yeah a lot of the um story other than the actual um abuse itself a lot of the kind of coming to terms of mental health sounds so similar to me the the, the um you know wandering around different jobs having worked in the kitchen um mm -hmm. and i although i didn't work in the carnival i did kind of help put things together like the dodgems and things because or strong enough to pick up the metal plates that you put down yeah um, and uh, yeah just things like that it's it is quite interesting i think that there's definitely a trait when you have some kind of um issue with, with mental health that kind of makes you go right this is all the shit you're gonna do um <laughs> figure it out afterwards um somehow we've both been led to twitch um but uh but in different yeah. ways um so so for you do you feel that because obviously you were saying that you know there were, there were things happening when you were when you were a young child and then it kind of developed into things with your first wife and, and everything like that so i can assume what i think is right but of course i don't know do you feel that if that first initial thing hadn't happened when you were a child that your life in terms of your first wife would have been different or do you think that that's what made it seem okay uh yeah if if things hadn't if the things hadn't happened when i was a child and then the the the, the component that i missed was also with my family I was the, like, my mother was first married to my father. They split up when I was three, and then she remarried. I never had a relationship with my stepfather, largely because my I found out in, in recent years my mother actually poisoned that entire relationship. And when I, as soon as I hit 12 years old, I was given babysitting courses, first aid courses, and then I was largely put in charge of my younger step-siblings. Right. So I spent all that time raising my step-siblings up until I was 16 and basically moved out of home. And right. then I ended up getting married at 17. And then we had my first daughter and then my son. And I was, again, looking after my own, my own kids, which is a separate thing. It's yeah. what I have to do. But the idea of having two, like being there looking after kids, 
that's what I was trained for from when I was 12. So between all of that and the, the way that I was treated by my wife and the way she would manipulate me seemed normal to me because that was something that I've always had dealt with from when I was a child. So if those things hadn't have happened, I would not have been in that position because I would have rec would not have been prepared for it because all of these various types of abuses over the span of my childhood and then my younger teen years basically put me in the position where I was easily manipulated and I believed the person that I believed I loved yeah that I would do anything because that's what I was groomed to do was to do whatever I was told to do for whoever I loved yeah it's and if I wanted approval I had to do these things yeah it's that it's that thing that you've just been, it, it's almost started bad from the offset. Just going to go, look, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. Oh, mm -hmm. look, there's this thing that looks so much better, but actually, no, this is a continuation of that, but it's put nicer because now this person says they love you. And yeah. it's, it's, it's thrown at you in that kind of, it's, it's that <laughs> toxicity isn't the word because it's beyond that, but it's that kind yeah. of, it's that buildup of toxicity that's allowed then something else to kind of, um, sneak in by the back door without you even realizing it mm -hmm. um so i mean you say you were 19 when you broke up was there a particular reason at 17 that you got married was it because um that had led to uh, um a pregnancy that you weren't a you know or, or what was going on that was part of it well she was pregnant and you know i was raised of that generation that you know you have to do right by the girl you get pregnant right yeah and throughout all of this i also was diagnosed in that early group of kids back then with adhd which they completely mishandled at the time yeah so you know I, i'm was always on the hunt for for dopamine and you know getting all the serotonin i needed and getting those highs and wanting that approval that you know i thought well i love her she says she loves me she's pregnant we should get married her idea and i'm like yeah, okay that's what we'll do and that's what happened and that's i mean you've actually brought something in there that, that's a point i bring up quite a lot to um to people on twitch is that dopamine spot because dopamine is is called something that doesn't actually make sense because it's it's always called the happy hormone but it's not it's it's more yeah. to do with your memory and mm -hmm. it's it's um, a neurotransmitter for memory so of course the problem that you were finding was because you were getting a serotonin spike then a dopamine spike with it it was mm -hmm. teaching you that it was the right thing and that's it's almost yeah. like um it's almost like uh what happens with addictions you know you you get a high and you get a, mm -hmm. a boost of serotonin and everything else and then there's that dopamine because that dopamine is basically your bottom your mind going this is what you did to get high this is what you did that felt yeah. good and it's that kind of the, the mix of the two that just went right you've got to keep doing this and mm -hmm. that is, I think it comes a lot when you, when we look at um, abusive relationships a lot, because so many people go, oh yeah, but if you're abused, then you just walk away. It's like, great. But there's, mm -hmm. there's a few different points to that because one of them, you don't necessarily know or believe anyone that's telling yeah. you it's abusive because you don't see it as abusive. Otherwise you wouldn't be in the bloody relationship. You're not seeing it like mm -hmm. that. You're seeing it as like, yeah, but this has always been the case. Like what you do is weird. This is normal, you know? Yeah. Being all that kind of lovey-dovey like you, you're the weird ones. 
Um, and then of course, if you're if you try and get away from that because you do start to see something, or at the same time, then oh yeah, but they were having a bad day, or they were, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was my fault because I, I yeah, didn't yeah. do it the way that I was meant to because this is what's reinforced for it. Mm-hmm. That's that, that sounds um, familiar. On what did you ever have people kind of continue to try to tell you otherwise and trying to kind of teach you that or? Not really, not then. It wasn't until after, like when, when we initially split up, actually half of my family blamed me and turned their backs on me for leaving her because I I finally had had enough because for a very short time I had joined the, the military. I was in the reserves. I was just doing my training and I just graduated basic training, was getting ready to go on to my infantry training. Mm. And during that graduation ceremony, she physically attacked me right right it wasn't like anything serious she just like tried to kick me in the ass and then tried to hit me that's when things changed because my unit moved in and to protect me right which is something nobody has ever done before and that's what led to my eventually getting out of that relationship and everything that happened there which unfortunately my short-lived military career ended around that time because i developed a heart condition and had to get medicaled out anyway because i nearly died from from stress basically stress nearly killed me then right so but it was that moment where there were people around me who i had developed trust and strong relate friendships with who actually protected me from someone Mm. normally it's me protecting my abusers or you know making excuses for them and defending the behavior because that's all I've ever known from a child onwards. This time I had people who moved in to protect me and said, this is not right. And they ejected her from the facility and took care of me. And that was the first time in my life that anything like that had ever happened. That's a lot of the, um, of the Canadian military there, because I'm not, 100% 100% sure if you'd have got the same off of the British or the American military. Mm. I feel like there's a there's a definite toxic um, kind of way of doing things that appears in both. Now, any of my friends, some of you have been on the previous podcast, guys, that are ex-military in the US, please tell me if I'm wrong. Um, and I have friends that have been in the British military, my family, in fact. So, you know, if you're watching this, guys, tell me if I'm wrong. But it it doesn't seem like it would be um, be the case here. I mean, there's been plenty of videos that have come up on YouTube actually about you know if uh, when when they have a, um, the dynamic of a man attacking a woman, a woman attacking a man. The second it's a man attacking a woman, stopped immediately and you know battered down the, the other way around. Yeah. Nothing happens. They just laugh. So mm-hmm. it is it is interesting to hear, especially because I think many of us see the military as being quite a kind of an old boys club type you know, very toxic, basically very toxic. Um, so it is interesting to hear that they, that actually they were the ones that, that said, no, 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 what, this isn't right. This is something's going fucking wrong here. It is interesting that that was, that was the, um, the mark because it's, it's, it's very unexpected in my mind. I mean, is it, have you heard that before or am I the, the only one that's found that weird? Uh, I have actually. And historically the, the Canadian military has, its own share of toxicity and a lot of misconduct and things like that through the ranks. But on a case by case basis, I've heard stories similar to mine at the same time. Mm. So it, it it's a lot of dependent on 
where in the country it happens, the units involved and the people involved. So it's not widespread as it might be in America or, you know, in England, but it still happens. So I've had people say that they was strange to them. And then I've had other people who said, no, that makes perfect sense because we take care of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is that, I suppose there is that kind of that camaraderie and stuff that you do get with the military. I, I suppose that make, that does make sense to that. So that was the first time then that you really kind of understood and realized that it was wrong then before that yes. it just it was just well this is just what happens and, and after that it was like oh. so did you did you find yourself pushing back against your relationship or the military uh my relationship okay so it's quite immediate once they re- once they said look yeah. it was, okay so it, so it was even though there was like uh, some form of kind of control over you because of abuse and everything else there was it was relatively easily snapped out of because it was just like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I've not seen this anywhere else. It's ingrained in me, but no one else is like this. So it, it, it was easy to snap out of then. Yes, because it was such a stark contrast. Mm. Like I remember um, second or third grade, I was in Dallas. My stepfather, he worked for a large company. We moved around. Occasionally we were in Dallas for a year and Houston for a couple of years later on. But uh, I remember going to the elementary school in Dallas, the, the beginning of the year, the principal pulled me into the office. This was, I think when I was still had my, well, I was just fresh getting my ADHD uh, diagnosis. Mm. And he pulled me into the office and he told me that uh, I have a history of being a bad kid, being disruptive. So he proceeded to spank me with a yardstick about 10, 15 times preemptively so that I wouldn't act out bad during the rest of the year. Wait a minute, what year was this? This would have been uh, 86, 87. What year did they outlaw corporal punishment in Canada? uh, (laughs) In Canada, it's only been recent, actually. I think around early 90s. But in in the States, I think it goes by by uh, state. I'm not positive. This was in Texas, though. I'm literally having to check that year. I've just checked for the UK. I did not know that. I I would have knew, Jesus. I'd have been I'd have been beaten by but 86. I did not know there was that bloody recent. My God. So in the UK it was only 86. So for you it's a, a little bit later. So yeah. Um, weirdly, I'd have thought Canada would have been first. And I mean, I'm looking here, and Scotland was in 2000. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, um, although everyone talks about it as being Britain, Scottish law is different to English and Welsh law, and even Northern Irish law, because that all kind of goes together. But Scottish law is separate completely and always has been because Wales Act of Union was different because we. Yeah. Anyway, history lesson there. But um, it took them 14 years more to do it in Scotland. But yeah, that's that is that's unexpected in my head. That is not something I thought was the thing especially not for canada i i in my head i think england has a very similar view on canada than i think america does in yeah. that you're the you're the, the nice people that just go you know it's that kind of thing so that is the idea of just going oh yes yeah, i mean it's it's uh it's like the um that tom cruise um film minority report it's like well we think you're going to be a little shit so let's beat the hell out of you first um it is so ridiculous. And I mean, the idea that you're not going to even check whether there's something else going on with a kid beforehand. I'm talking to mm-hmm. someone who used to teach in secondary schools as well. 
and you know when when I used to have control things for the class it was more around sending letters home to say they've been good or bad because you can't assume anything but you find that the bad kids are very good very quickly when they hear that there could be a letter home saying that they're good because it's very hard for their parents to hit them if they have a letter saying that they've been good all day so um it's you know that that's just that 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 shocked me because I wouldn't have thought that I I assumed that you were going to say oh it was illegal um (laughs) so no so and also actually so this was what 86 and you got you'd already had an ADHD um diagnosis which I'm going to be honest, I didn't even think about ADHD existing until 2004. <laughs> it was very early and there was like, there was some, and I had to be re-diagnosed again, I think when I was 12, because right. it was an early diagnosis, but I think they called it something else at the time. Right. But it, it was basically the precursor to ADHD. Right. Okay. So, but they, they just called it excessive hyperactivity or something like that. Right. I mean, so I got pulled into the office and spanked preemptively so that i would not misbehave the rest of the school year just didn't work of course but you know i mean yeah logic (laughs) dictates that you go all right well fuck you then i mean (laughs) you do that's what my head goes to you know oh you've 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 caused me issues right well this i was going to be a good kid but now fuck you um (laughs) yeah well he, he especially didn't like the fact that i laughed at him while he was doing it because i grew up you know, I was used to getting spanked by wooden spoons and, you know, the leather belt and things like that, that his his little limp-wristed yardstick didn't bother me. Like, it didn't physically bother me. It was the mental implications that I haven't even done anything and I'm already getting spanked. Yeah, yeah. And it does, I mean, that goes back to some um, some nonsense that you hear occasionally, I mean, online, on Twitter, let's be honest. Yeah, um, where people go, well, I was I was beaten as a child and it didn't do anything to me. And you're kind of going, actually, <laughs> the fact that you're making these comments kind of suggests it did. Um, and I think a lot of us kind of forget that that as well, that it that, that has had that impact. Um, and it is it's, it's, it does hit a, a chord because you only you're, I mean, you're not that much older than me at all. Mm-hmm. And it is weird to think that actually I I, I mean, I, I'm sure my parents and my, my sister, brothers and sisters will this out that i would have almost certainly been hit if i was if this was still legal in the uk it's just so yeah i literally just missed it i just missed it for um for school but it's it is it, it, it's incredible that that was the case um so did that was that kind of the end of or or was that the end of normal beatings or was that just the kind of oh this is just continuing now that was, I think, the last one I ever received. Right. Okay. So after that, what was the kind of healing process for you? Because obviously you've got you've had all this, and I know you were sort of talking earlier about um, you know, your wife's been a, a great help and you know, been mm-hmm. with her for, for 17 years. So obviously you met her sometimes in the in the seven years be, be, um between leaving uh, you and your yeah. wife breaking up in there. But what started that because obviously you you don't generally just go from an abusive relationship or a horrible relationship straight into oh this is a great one now and I know exactly how to yeah. behave and everything there's there's something else that's going to happen and of course you've you've come from this backlog really I mean you you spent you'd effectively spent just as many years being abused or, or in abuse than you have been married now so mm-hmm. it's very hard to to kind of 
throw the juxtaposition in. So was there something that particularly, was there a person uh, or was there an act or something that you just went, okay, right, now I've got to go and do something about this? Uh, well, uh, initially, first it was the being homeless and sleeping under a bridge for, you know, a, yeah. a while. And Sheds was my favorite. Um, <laughs> being, being alone kind of actually helped because I spent that time just reviewing everything mm. and looking over and realizing, okay, these things, this is where things started going wrong. This is what built up to this. This is what led. And, you know, basically mapping out the connective tissues of what happened, not really dealing with it, but just starting to map it out and build the chain of what started it and how did I get to where I am? Yeah. And then, you know, once things stabilized and I, had somewhere to go then i had therapy and i had new friends that kind of old friends who came back uh the few family that still were on my side which there were very few and far between mm. which was basically my grandmother and my grandfather who unfortunately i lost both of those both of them to cancer not long after that right but it was that period of grace, that year and a half, two years, where I, they picked me up and I got to just live mm. and, you know, go to school, get things settled, start working again, and just come to terms with everything that had happened. Mm. But it took the last 17 years really of growth and getting out of all those toxic things mm. and spending time trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is the, the journey of all the jobs was, yeah. you know, trying to find a thing. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I suppose it's the thing that is problematic. I suppose it can, can cause problems for you when you, when you tell a story back to people or people that have known you during the, during the period is, and this is assumptive, but you know, um that we're all shit at some point we are all mm -hmm. complete toxic twats at some point all of us and yours was born through something else but it's very difficult of course to i think re potentially realize your own toxicity if it's born out of the fact that you've had to deal with somebody everybody else's shit because that was a response mechanism and you're like well i've, I've deal with this shit by being a twat to this person and then obviously when people are nice to you, it doesn't necessarily tell your mind. Yeah, but you, you can't be a twat anymore. Um, and it's, that's, that's got to be a, a difficult one because it's toxicity is for most of us, not everyone, but I think for most of us, our, our individual toxicities are defense mechanisms. You know, mm -hmm. either we don't know how to act in a certain way because of the way we've been brought up or mental illness or whatever it is. Um, and that's not, an, that's not an, um, an excuse, but it is an explanation. Um, and it's it can be very hard to get out of because you're just going in circles. Um, so for you, I suppose the the homelessness was almost like a lot of people talk about running. It's that time alone to drown out the world and to almost not have to deal with some with something else because the only thoughts are yours. The only things you see are the things you want to see because you know you're under a bridge or whatever like that. As I say, I mean, I 
I've been homeless a couple of times. Last time I was, it was, it was people's sheds and uh, mm-hmm. realized pretty quickly, actually, I don't want to be here. So you, yeah. you start to, um, you start to think about, right, okay, how do I, how do I sort my shit out? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously for you, was, there was a lot more other stuff going on. I think for me, as I was just speaking about, actually the last time I was homeless was my own toxicity. Um, but it's, it's very hard to kind of get through that. So your grandparents, which, I think for many people would be seen as as a weird one because obviously grandparents for you I'm guessing a similar age grandparents to mine potentially which means they're pre second world war which means proper yeah. old school um you know so viewpoints may not be quite as generally enlightened as many others so did mm-hmm. did they just immediately go no this is fucked or did you have to explain yourself or was it simply that they just went we don't give a shit what's happened you're our grandson fuck the rest of it that was that was a big part of it that like even like i never really with all the things that happened to me as a kid and whatnot i had internalized a lot of it yeah so and the only safe havens i had was my my great grandmother Mm. who passed while i was in dallas so around that same time Mm. which affected me quite a bit and then it was my other grandmother and my grandfather they were the safe havens so whenever I got to go to their house on a weekend or whenever, when, whenever my mother didn't need me to do anything mm. and I got to escape, that was where I could go. That was a safe haven. Mm. You know, my grandmother was a professional piano teacher, so I would be immersed in classical music. My grandfather, he was a former uh, RCMP officer, and then he was working for a corporation. He would just take me fishing. We wouldn't talk. We'd just fish and just you know be out in nature and it was just relaxed right and i I mean there was there was a time where even he spanked me once Mm. but i earned that one i legitimately (laughs) earned that one because i i believe i had bumped the uh the the brake on her his car and sent it going down a hill into a tree (laughs) fortunately i wasn't in it just the car went for a walk by itself yeah so i earned that one <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird trying to trying to explain to um to younger people nowadays the idea of spanking full stop because yeah i mean i don't know when that was completely outlawed in in um in canada but it's here, not outlawed in canada oh it's, not it's still legal in canada right okay so here it's to a certain amount a certain amount yeah so you can't leave a bruise type thing which is the same as it is in yeah. uk which was not that didn't come until the 2000s um and i don't begrudge anything beforehand but it is it is weird to try and explain to people um they're kind of but I earned it and people are like, but that's not, that's not how it should work. So, ah, well, um, <laughs> but then I'm sure in that both of us are, are saying similar things to what we were saying previously about people that go, you know, I was hit at school and it didn't affect me. So um, maybe there is. Yeah, like it, it did. Like I recognize it wasn't a good way to be punished. Thing, it was, it was different, to, <laughs> but, you different know. to the abuse, you know, for, yeah. It was different to the abuse. And I mean, it was I, more out of, he was reacting because he was worried about my safety because he thought I was in the car. Yeah. yeah it wasn't a just i want to have control it was a yeah what are you doing you know um, yeah. yeah it's it's that kind of thing which is, i mean it's great and I, I like the idea of that kind of it is a very old school way of dealing dealing with things but mm-hmm. also better because i mean how many how many times have we seen for, for men's mental health especially i mean i don't know what the stats are in canada but in the uk it's the biggest killer of men under 40 is suicide um yes by far, like not even, not even fucking close are the next two or three. Um, mm-hmm. It's by far the biggest killer. And it's, it is weird that I find these kind of trips away where 
a lot of people would go, oh, yeah, but it's, it's the man's chip, chip away. That don't happen that much anymore are actually probably when people are most open. Because mm-hmm. um, even if you don't necessarily talk that much, you are in a position where you feel that you are safe enough to do so. So being in nature and just fishing, it's like, I'm safe here. As yeah. opposed to nowadays, which I think sometimes it's kind of going, well, we're going club, we're going to the pub, where you're always on show. It's not, you're mm-hmm. not, you're not avoiding anything. You can't, you're never safe to say anything. You're always in this kind of perpetual, somebody is seeing me, somebody is recognizing something. Um, and so it's good that the, that kind of old fashioned, um, the way of, of, of connecting, with, connecting with you was there because at least even if nothing was said, I suppose it allowed you, again, similar to when you were homeless, to just be in your own thoughts or at least in a place where yeah. you think, no one is going to hurt me here. I'm safe here. No one's trying to abuse me in any way. Um, so, and there's no expectations. There's no expectations, yeah. Uh, apart from, you know, make sure you catch a decent fish, maybe. <laughs> so, um, so, so for you, have you, can you, can you see um, now of a time when, so let's restructure it in my head. Do you feel that yourself when you were 21 would have been able to be with your wife now? Right now, is that due to you just being fucked in the head at the time? And yes, come at me, people in the comments. We both have issues. Fuck you. We want to talk about it like that. It's fine. Um, is it just that you were kind of fucked in the head, or was it that you didn't know how to love because you didn't really know what it was? You know, you knew abuse as love, or mm-hmm. or was there something else? Uh, it was partly because I was fucked in the head. Absolutely, it's partly because I really didn't have an understanding of love either of myself or of anyone else except well i shouldn't say that because i had three kids at that point Mm. so i understood loving my children which is the only reason that i didn't commit suicide at any point Mm. i had children young mind you i didn't have contact with them when we split up my wife got my first wife got custody of the kids visitation was at her discretion which meant never so that's another whole odyssey yes but you know so i was not like i understood loving my children Mm. right and taking care of them but i didn't understand fully how to be in a full relationship that wasn't toxic Mm. and you know a lot of my toxicity came from me looking at trying to defend my relationship with my first wife Mm. you know or you know defending my choices and being toxic to people because I was my wife didn't like them so I had to push them out of my life Mm. so it took a long time to rebuild some of those bridges too and the fact that my wife now is uh six years younger than me so that would have been really awkward at 21 too (laughs) assuming the age um but yes so um I suppose a lot of that is it's almost not like you would trying to defend your first wife it's almost like you're trying to defend yourself because it felt like every attack on your wife or anything else was a was an attack on you because yes you chose your wife you know mm-hmm. um what well, you say you chose your wife you know um it's that kind of that kind of dynamic but so it's um it's been a kind of a, a circle for you on that one now it is interesting have you ever found any mass pushback against being the abused because of course you know, we all have 
um, you, you know, we all hear stories about um, domestic violence and, and things like that. And um, one stat that a lot of people miss is, um, although across the board, women are by far more likely to be abused domestically, absolutely, by far, except for the age of 24 to 26, and it's exactly equal. And the domestic violence goes both ways, but of course, the stats that we have are based on those that are told and yeah, yeah. men don't tell because it makes you weak. It's, it's that kind of idea that it makes you weak. It makes you um, emasculated in some way. Well, I've, I've, I must've let it happen if that happened. Um, and I think if actually, if we're honest, there's probably many men that could look back even into relatively healthy relationships where you could pinpoint something and go, if that had been the other way around, that would have been the end of the relationship and it mm -hmm. would have been domestic violence. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't because it was one thing and it didn't seem that much because I felt safe, even though it wasn't. Um, so did you, have you had much pushback? Because I, I know in the UK, basically nobody believes really in, in domestic violence against men until Ross Kemp. I don't know if that name means anything to you. He was a um, big star in EastEnders. He played Grant hmm. Mitchell. Now, this, I think, is why it actually had an impact in the UK, at least for a short period, in Grant Mitchell and Phil Mitchell were the hard nuts of the East End of London. You know, we, they were, hmm. they were the, we're the brothers that'll sort everything out. Something goes wrong, we'll do it. You know, the proper old school, they're both bald, big guys, big jackets. And actually, Ross Kemp himself, as, as, as himself, has become a presenter now and has gone around the world um, meeting with gangs, and you know very mm -hmm. dangerous people and so when it came out that actually he'd been abused by his wife and he'd been beaten by his wife mm -hmm. yes there was a lot of people going oh well it's, that's just ridiculous but then it also pushed the thing of like wait if that can happen to him mm -hmm. maybe what happened to me wasn't fake maybe what happened to me really did mean something and it, it did start to to do it but that wasn't until the the early 2000s well I mean I can figure this one out because it was it was a friend because uh, Ross Kemp was married to um, a former journalist um, who was a friend of our prime minister that's why mm -hmm. it kind of became a big thing as well so it would have been the early 2000s so did you ever feel like there was a pushback because obviously with the army there wasn't the, the army saw no. otherwise um, but in general did you ever feel someone go really did that really happen or you know did, was it that kind of thing not uh, not in that way most partly because i didn't really talk about it okay like i didn't really open up to anyone until like i i had a, a long-term middle relationship which it, this is the thing i have eight kids mm. three with my first wife and then two with this middle relationship and now three with my wife now mm. which was with my best friend from high school we were together and you know but i was it it ultimately worked out that we're better as friends than we were as anything else mm -hmm. right and a, a lot of my initial healing was because of her because it gave me a, she gave me a safe place without expectations mm. so that i could you know try to work on my shit and you know and that's partly what it was is that i wasn't prepared for a real relationship and in a way she wasn't either because of her own history right so you know we just kind of helped each other survive and we're still friends now, partly because we have two kids and partly because she's been my best friend since we were like 12. Yes. So it's just the way that worked out. Mm. But 
I didn't really get pushback in that way other than there were people who were friends of my first wife who tried to downplay things. Yeah. Saying that I was, you know, what I was saying was not in context or I was exaggerating or some of them even called me a liar and, you know, things like that. Mm. But when I finally did start to actually open up to people, no, I didn't really get that kind of pushback because it was been fairly recent. Right. I mean, my, my wife now, of course, I've told her everything, mm. which, you know, as you do, and she just accepted it and, you know, and then opening up to other people, they kind of went, yeah, we kind of knew something was going on, but you guys were in your house in this bubble. We really had no contact with friends or anything. Yeah. Right. So it was very contained as it is. You're isolated. That's how a lot of these a lot of these abuses and things happen is because you're kept isolated with your abuser usually. And it's only once you get outside, get outside that bubble and get the, the, the grace of distance and time. Can you really open up about what happened and can people actually listen to you? Yeah. Because they go, well, you know, a lot of them didn't see it because they weren't there. Mm -hmm. So once I started explaining things and telling the story and sharing things, then they went, okay, I wish we wish we, you hear a lot of, I wish we had known. Mm. That's the thing everybody says. I wish we had known. Not that they could have done anything about it because at the time I wouldn't have listened and I was not in a position to hear it. Yeah, I would have denied it and deflected and, you know. So while I appreciated the sentiment, it really didn't mean anything. Yes, but it's a lot of I wish I had been there. I wish I had known, you know, I wish you had said something sooner. And it's like I couldn't because mm. I didn't know. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it goes back to a point I made earlier about the fact that for for um, for a lot of people, when you look at how um, they're in abusive relationships and that they come out of it and there's always someone that goes, oh, yeah, well, I would have just left. It's like, yeah you don't know you're in an abusive relationship you don't you don't mm -hmm. get that you know it, it, you're not there just going oh yes well you know they hit me yesterday they sexually abused me the day after or oh yeah no on, on this day they they verbally you know destroyed me you don't you don't have that because if you were you wouldn't be there you know you're not aware mm -hmm. of these things yeah um, and of course it is it is important to to state that one of the biggest issues with mental health which um this you know this this would come into is that when you're not prepared to listen that's it i, mm -hmm. I mean I, I make the point a lot on on my um on my twitch channel when i give out resources um many times i will say i know you aren't listening to me i'm well aware that you aren't listening to me right now however i'm going to put the resources there because at some point you will at some point you'll you'll want them and i want mm -hmm. you to know that they're there and i want you if you have to come back on this to know that we were there um, and it's not, you know, it's, and I think that's the thing that even if your friends couldn't have helped you, potentially they feel guilty for not taking you fishing, for instance, you know, yeah. giving you a space to do something, even if you weren't going to listen, because at least then when you come out of it, you can go, okay, there's, there's something that could have been done. And I think it's, it is, it is very hard for people to understand that kind of, that position where you aren't yourself, even though you are, there's a, there's a quote um, that, that's similar about de depression when they when it's talked about that um, you know all all you 
uh, were isn't you anymore. You, you no longer understand the, the New York Post. Sex doesn't bring anything, um, you know, a bagel. All these things have lost their meaning. And it, it's a similar thing that that person that you were isn't there. As long as you're in that relationship and think other things are there, you are someone else. You're separate to yourself. And it's very hard to get out of that. So what are the biggest things that you feel have changed for you then? I mean, obviously coming to terms with what the fuck happened. Um, but in terms of yourself, what do you, do you feel that there's still any big hurdles to get over or do you feel they're all gone or is there, was there something big that was the final kind of, that's the one I've done it. Like the last, last door on a, on a advent calendar of going, yeah, nice one. That's the big one. We're done now. Uh, actually there, there, I still need to work on friendships mm -hmm. in terms of learning how to make them. Right. It is harder to make fr new friends as an adult than it ever was as a kid. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> like, but I, I had a moment, this would have been six months ago now where I was, I was doing something completely innocuous. I was having breakfast and you know, I, I, I was having that, that moment, I was just eating some cereal and I was remembering back to when I was a kid. And when you're a kid, you, you know, we didn't have things to do. We didn't have phones or computers or, you know, tablets. We would be sitting there and we'd be reading the cereal box or, you know, reading the, what's on the milk carton. And I had this moment where I remember then when the, the lost kid ads were on the milk cartons. We don't have them right. in the UK, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. In Canada and the US, they would put missing children on milk curtains. Mm. It was a thing. I remember at that moment, I sat there and I thought about it. And I was like, I was jealous of those kids. Because someone wanted them. For that moment. Because somebody was looking for them. Yeah. And somebody cared enough to put them on a milk carton. And I, I was jealous of that. And that hit me profoundly i wept for a good two hours mm. from that because it was just that was my childhood was me sitting at, at breakfast by myself wishing i was a kid on a milk carton that somebody was looking for yeah and it's 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 a it's a big um comment on on, on depression as well in general i think that because i i don't think many people realize especially when it comes to, to suicidal ideation as well is that you you've lost hope that anyone cares you know you mm -hmm. the world is better off without you there no one gives a shit and that's why we have this thing nowadays that that you know you get these campaigns that say just text your friend and see if they're okay because even if they don't respond they've got a text from you showing you that they know you exist um mm -hmm. and as you say you didn't have any phones didn't have any um anything when you were a kid so nobody could even even when you know your grandparents for instance were probably there going oh i wonder how angela's doing. they couldn't do anything they couldn't tell you because yeah there was no interaction which it's the weird thing that i think a lot of people um mistake nowadays with social media is that although there's a lot of shit with social media it's very easy nowadays to go hey dude how you doing you know yeah. it's very easy to do that you know discord or you know we set up this this meeting through discord discord didn't fucking exist through, through anyway, you know, back in the 80s and 90s jesus you know i remember in the um coming back from school and if i wanted to ring someone there was the one telephone and it was at the bottom of the stairs and it was on its own little table and you sat mm -hmm. next to the table making the phone call you know that that was there's so many people that can remember that all us 
millennials who I, I always love when the papers come out because apparently millennials are the fault for everything and they're going guys we're in our late 30s to, to 40s um <laughs> we're not we're not like 10 anymore what the fuck um so it's, it's that weird thing that we don't have uh, you know you didn't have that connection as a, as a kid so um it is very different so did you did you find yourself um circling in specific depression or anything basically what was beyond the adhd um because obviously that that had been from very early on they knew about that i'm guessing yeah. normal depression had come in but is there anything that's yeah. kind of you know such as i'm assuming here cptsd um and various other things that have kind of come with it yeah it, it was a lot of and it was recognizing especially in the last couple of years which is when i've made the most progress mm. and it like there was significant progress but like i joined started streaming uh seriously i, I i've tried streaming on and off for eight years now yeah. every now and then i would just pop up and stream something and we had a, a podcast that ran i think 10 total episodes in 2006 and 2008 something mm. like that it was horrible <laughs> horrible I, I kept the VODs. I have them hidden away on YouTube because I'll go back and I'll listen to them again and I'll be like, oh my God, who are these people? <laughs> but um, I did a lot of progress in the last couple of years. And then when I started on Twitch, if it hadn't have been for that progress and recognizing the things that were triggering me and those epiphanies of this is something I still need to deal with this is something I need to accept and learn from or accept and just let go. Cause there was, there's a lot of hate I had to let go. Mm. Right. And a lot of things I had to forgive myself for. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's, that actually goes back to a podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago about the idea of having to forgive yourself. Mm. Um, because I've always been of the opinion that you shouldn't have to um because to forgive yourself and accept can sometimes be conflicting um <laughs> but it's it's good that you've been able to to do both because it, it allows you some movement forward so you say it's since you moved on to twitch so for, for you was was twitch literally two years ago is it since twitch or was there something it's, else it's been a year and a half okay so now, was that, twitch. So beyond twitch then you say it's the last two years that you've made the most progress was there a specific kind of trigger for that for that progress because obviously you say you've been been with your wife for 15 years she was a great help and before that your your friend was yeah. help as well do you know why in the last two years is it because for instance of lockdown where everyone's kind of self-discovery basically yes it, 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 lockdown had a lot to do with it i you know i was working but there were like for 10 years, I was in and out of the game industry, trying to doing different all sorts of things. And then I was at home with the kids, with my youngest kids, looking after them while my wife was working. And so I was always busy. Mm. Right. But when lockdown initially happened, I wasn't working. The kids weren't in school. We were all just home. Yeah. And we were all together. And that's when a lot of evaluation happened because we were, you know, all in the house together and I, the kids were doing remote learning and trying to help them with that 
which was both fun and horrible because the way they do math now makes absolutely no sense to anyone. But <laughs> so, but it was those initial few months of just being surrounded with my family that I learned that I'm actually okay now. Mm. So it wasn't even necessarily that you've, there's, there's not necessarily some kind of mass change. It's the, the kind of realization that you're not that anymore. It's kind of going, yeah. oh, fuck. You know, so like having a headache for, for two or three hours, you never really remember when it's gone. Um, yeah. Until you suddenly go, oh, I haven't got a headache anymore. It's that kind of thing for you. Yeah, it's that, it was that recognition that I'm actually okay. Mm. So obviously you, you're at home with, with your family, with your kids and everything. Have you been able to reconcile any kind of past with your kids from your first marriage and or with your first wife? Uh, my, my oldest daughter, I, we reconnected a couple of years ago and she now has two children. So have two grandbabies, which is weird and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> I'm not that old, but oh, I'm a great uncle, which is the same thing. It makes you feel a lot older than you feel. Yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> does. But at the same time, it's really wonderful. Mm. So but my my oldest son and then my third eldest daughter, or my last daughter with my first marriage, I have not heard, had contact with them in years. They just uh, my daughter is just still inside my first wife's bubble. And my son has moved out and he's on his own and he's doing his own thing. And he just cut off ties with everyone. And he's, he's on his own discovery path to figure himself out. And, you know, all I can do is wait. He may be kind of broken as well, but needs yeah. to cut off from everyone. Similar to, as you were saying with homelessness and, you know, yeah. um, so was there something then that, that, prompted your your eldest daughter from that marriage to um to to contact you or do you contact them i mean how did that happen she contacted me uh like i would send them messages i found them on facebook and every so often every couple of uh, a year might go by i'd send them my happy birthday wow. just just a happy birthday no expectations just happy birthday hope you're well mm. she had moved out from her mother she was living with her grandmother my former mother-in-law mm. and then she one day she just contacted me and say can i meet you are you going to be here and it was when i was at community college for a short-lived period of time right. trying something new that didn't work out because i'm just norm like school settings does not work for me I have reached that point where I recognize traditional classroom settings, even for college or university, just it does not work with my life. Mm. It just there's something about the environment that just there's too much. If I'm going to take courses and if I'm going to study something, I have to do it in my own space, my own time, in my own pocket. Does, uh, does the Open University exist in Canada? Because mm -hmm. oh. I, I know the Open University here it was literally created for that very reason for mature students who because you get 16 years 
to cover a three-year course so that is only your own time so yeah so i was, I was just wondering i was just wondering because yeah. i've heard that before about for, for people so it's always it always intrigues me because my like my my way of thinking is on the exact opposite i was always never that and then i've gone the other way now so it's, it's always interesting from that but okay sorry i just, I just, yeah. <laughs> just oh, no worries but yeah so she contacted me and she i i waited and she showed up and that was that she just had to be ready to reach out to me herself she had to get away from her mother and you know get some time to herself and then she just reached out and now we talk every couple of days so it's kind of realization for her then she kind of moved away from her mom and just went oh fuck i mean almost like like yourself it sounds like some of your kids are slowly doing it and maybe the youngest there will do it as well is this kind of you move away and then suddenly go oh well, that didn't happen. You know, it's, it's that thing when you when you're a kid and um, you go around your, your mate's house and suddenly mm. they don't have a, a set time for tea for, for, for dinner or something or they don't have a certain snack. And you just kind of go, yeah, this is weird. What, what? Mm -hmm. There's a different way of doing things. What the fuck is this? And it is yeah. that kind of. Yeah. And it, you have to move away. You have to step away to ever realize that that's happening because you've got no other point of reference. And, you know, it's it's very difficult. I mean. It is. It goes back to that toxicity, and that it's it's hard for many people to realise it. And it's a lot. It, it's very hard for people. And I think we have issue nowadays in recognising that because if we'd have, for for instance, toxic behaviour that you might you may have done or anybody might have done, we if Twitter had been around when you were younger, there may mm -hmm. be the idea of you may have said something fucking stupid, as I'm sure I would have done. Um, yeah. And it is that idea that people don't seem to have realized, despite the fact, yes, the internet exists. And that's usually the excuse. Google is free. It's always the excuse. And kind of go, yes, but that's not how it seems. Because when you, only, when you only see one point of view, you only look for one point of view. You're blinking yeah. to anything else. I mean, there's, there's a great example where there's, um, during the BLM marches, there was um, a, a young guy who was um, put in the media as, you know, we should, we've got to hate this guy. He was covered in like, um racist tattoos and swastikas mm -hmm. and all that and there's a picture of him with his hand out and it looked like he was doing the nazi salute that's what it looked like yeah until people from the actual march went what the fuck are you doing that guy basically had come from being brought up a nazi been brought up all this kind of stuff had literally just got away from that had suddenly realized the rest of the world exists and it immediately changed but mm -hmm. he was poor didn't have any way of getting any money from his family because he'd gone fuck you to his family and yeah. was covered in these tattoos that he couldn't get rid of. And what he was actually doing in that moment was reaching for one of the flags so that he could march with them. And it's that idea of kind mm -hmm. of going, I've seen something else. I now want to be the exact fucking opposite. I mean, that's, yeah. that's I mean, it is a hell of a shift. You're going from like, from, from that to the BLM marches. And of course, it is, it's the same with anything. If we're, if we're in that bubble, it's very hard for us to see outside of that bubble until it bursts. And then you suddenly go, well, fuck, this is weird. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's nice to hear that obviously there's, there's a relationship there and, and potentially, although you can't get your hopes up, but potentially there may be um, other relationships that, that kind of go from there. And so do you, because obviously you were very young when these, um, uh, with these abuses start started mm -hmm. um and you say that your um second major relationship with your best friend um she was your friend from high school so yeah. was there a time in which the kind of those those specific abuses 
stopped or was were they not aware of them or was there something else going on there uh there were there were lulls in them like they would happen progressively like when i was younger and then i removed because my my family my mother and my stepfather moved around a lot right so the, the problem was is that we would move and somehow somebody i ended up in that spot again hmm. because it was uh, a, an older kid at school or uh, a next door neighbor right so that happened and then we'd get away from it again and we'd start over i was constantly starting over hmm. because we moved around so often that the the friends that i might have had for that grade or that couple of years i now moved away from wow. and i didn't see them again so i did like i my early years were at one elementary school where you know i made a lot of friends that i wouldn't see again until high school mm. because i had this whole block of years where we moved to a different town or we moved to a different province or we moved down to america and then back and then down to america and then back and then all over the place again. So there were no consistency of the people around me other than my mother and my siblings. So the, the faces kept changing. So I never had anybody to rely on for a long time. So I kept ending up in these situations or having these experiences because there was nobody consistent around me who went, hey, this isn't right. Or, hey, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So, and I just gravitated towards people who gave me attention because <laughs> I wasn't getting any otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was just easier to kind of go to go to someone that, as you said earlier, with the, the whole um, milk carton thing, someone that actually recognized you were there or anything like that. So yeah. have you since since all this kind of this happened and you started to heal or anything like that? Um, has there been a specific diagnosis or therapist or anything like that that has particularly helped you beyond what the other you know what your wife has helped you with and and um you know that isolation has there been um a type of therapy or a medication or just knowing that you suffer from something has anything like that been around that has helped you go okay this is this is a big part a lot of it was it wasn't necessarily the therapies because there I, I had a couple of different ones mm. and what they did never made a whole lot of sense to me honestly yeah, <laughs> yeah i've heard that yeah kids just getting home <laughs> um but i had a child psychologist when i was young i think i was eight or nine and all he did had me do was finger painting. Right, yeah. So, you know, that, and that, that like, I, I still have not concepted what the whole point of that was. Yeah. He's just like, here, finger paint. I'd finger paint or I'd color for an hour and then I'd get picked up. Yeah. So I don't know what that was other than he was just getting paid to babysit me, I guess. That's what it seems like even now. Yeah, it's that kind of, so, that kind of respite, isn't it? To try and go, I, I suppose, in, in some defense of them, I suppose the idea is that you're, you're given some kind of safety. And I suppose they're, they're hoping, a bit like all those very cliched TV shows 
where they call in the parents and go, have you seen what little um, Jimmy is um, drawing? Mm-hmm. I suppose there's a, there's a hope that you're going to draw or paint something that they can go, right, we know the problem now. But yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or that, you know, hoping that they'll observe some kind of behavior in me that they can recognize, yes. maybe. Yeah. But I don't know. And then the other the other one I had when I was a teenager was a, a Christian therapist. Mm. So it was very, very religion heavy. Right. And, you know, at that age, in the state I was in, I was very easy manipulated and, you know, I thought, you know, that religion was the, the cat's ass. Mm. And I thought maybe this is where I can find some safety that, that obviously didn't work out. So it, in my older years, it was me more researching things and like going through medical journals and reading actual literature on different things, especially about ADHD and has as things have progressed because now several of my children have been diagnosed with adhd and my one son has autism Mm. so i I, i've learned a lot from them as well watching them grow up and you know how they interact with the world and recognizing behaviors that i had Mm. and seeing that so if anything has taught me like if i've learned anything is from my kids and watching how they grow and develop that has taught me more about recognizing all the things that were wrong with my childhood Mm. compared to theirs it's partly because i don't want to echo the things that happened to me or the way my parents reacted to things and yeah stuff like that but it's also just watching them and the way they interact with the world because they have a much safer environment than i ever did yeah you know we're constantly telling them how much they're loved and you know hugs are given all the time you know no matter how old they get yeah you know, i saw my oldest daughter and immediately just gave her a hug because that's just you know yes it it gets it gets it gets more interesting especially um when my, my mother um goes in for a hug with me now um because of yeah. course i'm six foot two and my mother is five foot two um <laughs> yeah like, this isn't the same dynamic as it used to be um but yeah i mean that is of course you know helpful there are a lot of a lot of people and a, a lot of has to be said i think a lot more men that still have this aversion to some kind of physical um show of emotion which is hard yeah. because it either wasn't shown to them as a child or it's seen as some somewhat not manly or something you know it's there's a there's i mean i don't know if you find this at all but i know um in the uk for instance and especially at university when we did this we always realized, me and some of our friends, um, my, my father's from the north of England and they are more mm-hmm. tactile up there. Um, yeah. I'm from the south of England where they're not. And we mm-hmm. found actually that friends I had at university, there was a definite show between the male friends that were prepared to hug each other. Go, hey, mate, how you doing? And then the, the, from where they were in the, in the UK. <laughs> gonna open a thing all right don't worry (laughs) hello (laughs) whenever i'm on camera she has to (laughs) has to show up at some point anyone listening and not watching this anyone on amazon um uh music or spotify uh one of angela's daughters just came in to say hi um but yes there was there was a definite um difference between men from the north or you know students in the north and the south of kind of you know, they wouldn't go in, they wouldn't be affectionate. So did, did you find that growing up that 
there was a difference between your friends and then affection. And that's, and I mean, as you say, you were going towards certain people because they were showing you affection. Yeah. Was there ever like, was there a clear divide for you? There, there was because like, especially with uh, father figures, my own father, I've had, I've never had a good relationship with. Mm. We try every now and then, mm. but it's, it's never, and he was not around very much at all when I was a kid. Right. Like, he was just and then now as an adult i talked to him maybe every six months maybe mm. so and then my stepfather was he was not tactile at all with anybody mm. so you know seeing my friends having good relationships with their parents was weird to me yes but my grandfather was always very tactile right he was the one he was the only male figure that would regularly hug me or would praise me mm. he, he'd also you know tell me off if i make a mistake <laughs> or call me an idiot or you know mm. if i really did something dumb but he was also the one who would you know he was the only one who ever told me he was proud of me or would hug me or you know especially when i was a kid and i'd fall down he was the one who'd pick me up yeah. so that's that's where i learned that behavior myself with my own kids because that was the time that I felt that was one of the rare times when I felt really loved was from that contact from my grandfather and my grandmother. Cause they were, they were very tactile people. They would hug and, you know, mm. ruffle my hair and do the things that, you know, yeah. I, I would see other kids have their parents do, but mine never did. So and do you think that was from, from the military, from your, from your grandfather? Um, that, I, I think so. I think that was part of it. And he just, he had a much different upbringing. Right. And, you know, my grandmother, who was a survivor herself from her first husband, mm. because it runs in the family, of course. <laughs> but, you know, she was also very tactile because her grandmother was like that. And my great aunt was like that to an extent also, but I saw her very rarely. So it wasn't that impactful. But, so it was this weird dynamic of I had the oldest generations and my great grandmother was very tactile and, you know, she would hug me and, you know, we'd sit and do all these whenever I was at her house overnight, we'd sit there and watch Star Trek and, you know, we could talk about things and she was very interesting and, you know, she was teaching me Greek and Latin, which I now forget, but she was teaching me Greek, Latin and Dutch and we were having these conversations and she taught me how to play chess which I've now forgotten because it was, you know, I was seven. So it's a wonderful game. You should continue. Um, anyone that, again, about it. Amazon Music or Spotify, there's a chessboard in the background of the picture. Um. <laughs> so, you know, it's like the oldest generations in my life were the ones who were tactile and loving, which is kind of odd when you think about it because you think about that generation and they were more standoffish. Yeah, yeah. Right? But my paternal grandfather, who was a merchant marine, in world war ii and everything he was the he was that stereotype right. he was very you know guarded and very abrupt and you know he if he was going if he was going to give you any kind of tactile touch it was to smack your ass and that was the long and short of it yeah so that's where i learned that from was from my grandparents and that's when now and in the, the preceding years after getting away from my first wife and you know, starting to reconcile things. That's who I emulated was my grandparents. 
Mm. And, and that's could, become how I, you know, interact with my kids now. Yeah. And of course you are in that kind of um, changeover period in terms of, cause I know, I mean, we do overplay this a lot in the media as well, but there is a, there is a distinct difference I feel in terms of um, generations where we see different things in different ways because of, you know, whether it's technology or because our parents taught a certain way. So it changes when it comes to ours and things like that. And of course you're in a, you're in the in-between you're, you're at the very end of the very Gen, end X, of Gen X and the beginning yeah. and the beginning of millennial. You're kind of in that kind of who the hell am I? So mm-hmm. it's also interesting for, for yourself. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm elder millennial. I just wish I, oh. um, and and it's, it's interesting for me because I, I, I have, I have siblings who are, boomers and i have siblings who are gen x um and then you know I, I i interact with gen z because of things like twitch so it is interesting to put them together but um there was still a, a um definitely an identifier when i was growing up of kind of the way i was meant to act whereas for yourself i suppose it almost probably changed the way you were meant to act between the years like primary or elementary to, to secondary high school because it's like yeah okay the, the world's going to be changing now we're not quite like this and you know, both me and you saw the, you know, the the um, coming in of, of computers suddenly in the classroom and, you know, back when floppy disks, because yes, guys, floppy disks were floppy. They really were. <laughs> it's, it's always that, that fun one when you see it on, online where people go, no, floppy disks were this. It's like, no, 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 that's a 3.5 inch. There was a five inch before, which I was actually floppy. Yep. You know, we saw these changes come in and, and yourself very much more. And so it's, I, I would expect being very hard for you to necessarily place yourself. Has that been something that you've that you felt at all as well, that it's been hard to place yourself with your um, your kind of, you know, your, your peers almost, because you don't necessarily entirely fit in a specific bracket as well? Uh, for a lot of things, and this is, has been a, a sort of an exploration of looking at the tropes of the generations and the, the stereotypes and recognizing what what's considered Gen X and what's considered like elder millennials. And I was at the tail end of Gen X. And for a lot of a lot of things, I identify as Gen X because my gener- my my specific year, that generation, 78, 79 mm. and 80 to an extent. We were the last of the latchkey kids. Mm. We were the last kids that were really left home alone after school, where once we hit like eight, nine years old, our parents would go off to the store and we'd be home alone. It may not be for long mm. sometimes, or it could be four or five hours before our parents got home, mm. but we were the last real latchkey kids. And I think that was that's the most defining trait for me of Gen X versus millennials mm. is you saw with millennials, the parents started becoming the helicopter parents that's when it really started to to form in where kids were less unsupervised and now it's completely different but i i think that that's my touchstone as far as where i go for generation identification is that latch key part where i could come home i'd have a house key i'd let myself in i'd be home alone and i knew i wasn't allowed to eat certain things i could only have certain things and i could only do certain things i couldn't have friends over mm. i couldn't you know very list of very strict rules of things i couldn't do and things i could do and that was it yeah it's it's weird because i'm i'm 
elder millennial, like I say, so I'm I'm kind of before the it fully went. So I I was in between. I was a latchkey kid in terms of I had a key. I could get in. I wasn't expecting it. You know, I walked three miles, three, four miles in the countryside to get to school and the same back. Yeah. And I had the key to get in. But when I got in, one of my parents was there. So it was, like, yeah. it, was, it, was it was an in-between of like, I had a lot of responsibility, but at the same time, someone was there to make sure I wasn't going to burn the fucking house down. Um, yeah. So I suppose for you, that, that kind of becomes a defining trait because it's something that is slightly different. Because as you grow up, I mean, really, there's not many years between when that was normal to not being normal. And that's just something yeah. else to add on to you going, but why is this weird? Why? Okay, now everything yeah. else was was weird, but that seemed okay. But now that's weird. It's so kind of identifying who you were as you grew up just becomes harder and harder. And yeah, you were saying you know obviously finding um, finding friends as, as an adult. Have you found that has become harder because you still don't really know who you are? Um, and, and, and not, I don't mean this kind of existential. Let's go into a field mm. somewhere and go um and you know cross our legs. I mean, um, you know, and I'm not taking the mick out of meditation there. For anyone that's wondering, I am a meditation teacher. I'm taking the mick specifically out of LA-born wellness. Um, but you know, it's I don't mean in in that terms of finding yourself. I mm. mean in terms of just like what the fuck am I doing? You know, there's a, there's a buzz um, there's a Buzz Lerman song. That, that talks about from the I think the late 90s that talks about um, uh, some some 18 year olds don't know what they want to do with their lives and some 40 some of the most interesting 40 year olds still don't and it's that that kind of thing so have you found that as a, as a marker for it uh, actually what it really came down to was during the the from 21 on to about well 41 mm. 20 year period I was very closed off and guarded and my biggest issue especially like with making friends it, it's getting better sort of because it started getting better right at the beginning of right before the pandemic we started you know going out and trying to meet new people and trying to make friends mm. and then lockdown happened and well that got all fucked up but it, my biggest obstacle was learning how to communicate with people because i the, the problem was, and this is going to sound really arrogant, but it's true in, in a lot of situations where I was locally, was I often was the smartest person in the room mm. in a lot of situations. And there, were, there was nobody I could talk to in a way that actually stimulated conversation. Right. Because a lot of the people that I would end up being around, whether it's, you know, in the pub or at a friend's gathering or whatever it was, they were all talking about things that have no meaning to my life whatsoever. Yeah. You know, we, we went to a house party and it was friend group. It was a, a friend group. And, you know, I was the, the tag along outsider to an extent. Yeah. And, you know, the, the guys were all sitting there talking about their trucks and, and hockey and going out in the woods to chop down some wood for firewood and stuff. And I'm the, the, the computer guy, video gamer, you know, who loves watching World War II documentaries and, you know, reading Shakespeare and doing all these, you know, more intellectual things, mm. not, not to downplay their interests, but there was no connection there. Yeah. There was no way for me to relate to them, which is why I gravitated more online as far as friendships go and things because it was easier to find people that i could resonate and talk to hmm. 
Yeah, I suppose it is good when you can find at least at least one thing. If it's just you know you you both yeah. love Halo or whatever it is that you can kind of go, okay, we can we can we can build on this. You know, you may have nothing else in common at all, but there's there's that. So we can we can we can build on that. I mean, me me and you were, for instance, me and you were in a Discord call with a couple of mm. other people, and there was a lot of things that me and you knew in terms of history and education that wasn't known yeah. by most of the people in that call. Um, and that wasn't anything on them, but it was just that our education system is very different and we yes. had learned it or we had chosen to learn it. Um, but we all had a, 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 a baseline to all come from. So there was never any, any way that it's different. Whereas if you're in a room where you have no baseline and you start talking yeah. about these things, well, then there's, then there's, you know, it's grating because now it's just somebody lording themselves over rather than something else. So I can, I can understand where, where that kind of comes from. And so it's been, so I suppose Twitch and before it, you're a, you're a mixer refugee, right? Yes. Yes. So um, I suppose from all that has been you slowly discovering new people to talk to then. And, and that's kind and, of- been... And how to talk to people. Mm. That, that was the thing, like in those situations where I, didn't have a connection i just didn't talk to people mm. right i talked to my wife and that was it yeah. or you know it would be you know pleasantries like oh hey how you doing good cold out yeah you know <laughs> small talk that is annoying and meaningless yeah but actual conversation i forgot how to do that because i had been so closed off and guarded for so long now with streaming first mixer i you know, I, I was starting to get a little feel for it and just learning how to operate the the technology more than anything else. It wasn't until Twitch when my viewers went from myself and my cat to a couple of people and then, you know, building up and then all the relationships and, you know, people that I've met since. It's been learning how to communicate people, how to how to talk and how to greet people and welcome them into the channel and hold conversations with chat has been very therapeutic in learning how to communicate again mm. and learning how to just talk to people. Yeah, because that was that was my big stumbling point, because I could sit there and I could hear people like, say, at the pub who were talking about video games. And I'm sitting there going, I know about this, but I don't know how to enter a conversation. Right. I don't know how to introduce myself to these new people and go, hey, I heard about blah, 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 blah. I, I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. I, I simply didn't know how to process. How do I say hello to people I don't know? Yes, it is. It is an interesting one. It's very I think it's very I think it's a lot harder than people give it credit to be in that in between. I mean, because I'm thinking of it now and actually. Because I'm not on, I'm the exact opposite of the spectrum, and that doesn't mean I find it easy to easy to connect with people. I find it too easy to talk. I mean, we were talking literally before I turned on records of the fact that um, I just did a 15 hour stream mm -hmm. in which I just talked. I didn't game. I just never shut the fuck up, and so I find it really easy to talk. But I don't know if I find it ne that necessarily that easy to connect. And mm -hmm. you're on the kind of other spectrum of harder to connect because you, you you don't know how to talk and it's it is interesting i think it, it is a skill that um maybe many of us kind of never never learned or, or have lost in that kind of the idea of no no there is an in-between there is there is a time when you can just talk and not talk too fucking much and you can just 
yep, this is my turn to speak right now. You've got to listen. And it's, it is weird. And potentially it's been made worse and or, and or slash better by the pandemic because it's allowed us to make connections in different ways that are outside of, you know, the pub. They're outside yeah. of work where, let's be honest, many of us don't really have friends at work. We have colleagues at work. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's very different because there's, there's, there's office room banter and then there's like, yeah, but this isn't the person I'd actually interact with in real life. And so it, it is very different. So you've just been effectively learning those skills. So yeah. is there, have you found a specific platform that has helped? And when I say that, I don't just mean, was it Mixer or Twitch? I mean, Twitter, um, Discord, um, you know, has there been something where you've gone, this way of it, this setup, this way of interacting with people, this makes sense to me? Uh, Twitter at first, because as you know, I've, I've always been in love with writing. Mm. And Twitter took like I've been on Twitter for 12 years now, something like that, maybe a little bit longer. I don't even remember, mm. but it, it took a little while to get used to writing in such short form. Yeah. And because at first I hated it because I, I have uh, one of my main personality quirks is I hate abbreviations. I hate the, the Internet language of shortening things down and not spelling full words and that's our fault though complete i mean sentences that is our fault for you know i mean i, I don't know about it yeah it's 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 the old for any um gen z gen z is out there it's because we used to have to pay for each individual text message so <laughs> it was the, everything just went <laughs> shortened down to go right how do we say an entire an entire like essay in three words because <laughs> it's going to mm -hmm. cost me a pound rather than 10p before so i mean yeah we are kind of to blame for that but i suppose yeah yeah it's, it's harder if you're if you're used to the whole things but yeah sorry carry on. so so that was the start of it and i you know i felt comfortable sharing thoughts and you know showing certain sides of my personality on twitter because it was you know for for a lot of ways it was impartial you know mm. nobody was looking at me they were just looking at the words and I kind of separate, I had that barrier between myself and the text and the words. So that's where it started. Mm. But now it's with Twitch going live. Yes, I'm playing a game. I'm, I'm almost always playing. A game. I've tried just chatting and I can do that. And I can carry streams and I love podcasting. Mm. I love sitting down and talking to people. But when I'm playing a game and talking to chat or talking about the game, I'm very comfortable because video games was my last refuge mm. i'm you know if i put anything about my generation it's that we can't with the atari 2600 onwards video games have been the one constant in my life mm. the one thing well video games and books to be fair i read every day i have to read a book before i go to sleep mm. even if it's a chapter i have to read it's just part of my routine yeah but so but video games and books and stories basically have been you know the rock upon which my entire life has been built mm. so talking and in that space with games i feel com more naturally comfortable because if nothing else can talk about the game but now i can be playing the game and holding conversations about everything else if somebody comes in and they want to talk about their day or they want to talk about 
politics or they want to talk about food or whatever it happens to be, I can hold the conversation while playing the game and feel naturally comfortable because I've got the game in front of me and I'm talking to people who we share that one connection with and going out from there and developing these conversational relationships that just grow organically from, based on the conversation. Mm. And I think Twitch was the perfect platform for me. Well, I shouldn't say Twitch itself. It's live streaming. Yes. The act of live streaming that has really led to this growth as far as my skills socially. I, I was at like when my jobs, I could talk to my coworkers, but it was about work. Yeah. Very rarely was it about anything else because I wasn't there to make friends. I was there to work. That yeah. was my mentality because a lot of the people I worked with, some were great people and, you know, I had some good coworkers at certain places, but most of them were idiots. I'll be fair. You know, in the, in, in the game industry, there were some good people and then there were some horribly shitty people that I worked with too. Mm. But outside of that in, you know, when I was doing some work in retail, cause you got to work where you can work sometimes yeah. or in restaurants, like in restaurants, there's no time to talk. No. In a lot of cases, especially during festivals and big things like that, you're doing 13 hours in the kitchen cooking. You don't have time to talk beyond, hey, pass me this or yeah. this is for this, you know. But after I still had a, a morning job where I was working for a courier doing uh, the dock and some logistics, this was in mid I was doing things on Twitch. I was building those skills. I was talking more at work about less work things because I was more comfortable talking. Mm. And that's the benchmark when I realized, okay, this is how this is working. The, the things I'm doing on Twitch are actually transferring outside of Twitch to actual social situations and work situations, which was, very, which was a very profound thing at the time. Yeah. Because I didn't realize that connection until I just realized, okay, <laughs> yeah. this is actually a thing. So, it, I mean, with that, is, is it also... Because this has occurred to me in the in the in the past year, um, and and obviously with friendships and socialisations and all that, has it became become a thing that you've realised that online friends are actually friends now? And that sounds a weird thing, but because I there's a there's a weird thing that I think before the pandemic, and maybe for those that aren't on Twitch, it's still the same, or, or on some kind of streaming, it's still the same thing. But I found that suddenly I have friends who are just friends. They just happen to be somewhere else, as opposed to there's online friends and there's in real life friends, you know, that IRL friends thing. It's just like, no, no, it's just, you know, I met this person doing this. You could have met that person in real life doing something. It's the same connection. It's yeah. just that, for, I mean, especially during the pandemic, we didn't fucking meet any, anybody anyway. <laughs> Even if we wanted to, most of us were in some kind of curfew or lockdown or something. Um, so, you know, has that been something that has helped you? Because you say about making friends and obviously socialization. Has that been something that's helped you by recognizing that maybe you have friends you didn't know were friends? That that's actually something I realized several years ago mm. because I was I, I was always in the the MMO massive multiplayer online space playing online MMOs. Right. And I this is going to sound very strange because it is. <laughs> but for uh, with MMOs, I've been in that space as a player for 15 years, right. something like that. 
12 of those years was I was a guild leader. <laughs> so I was leading a guild and at the guild grew from size from 10 people to 100. At one point, I think we peaked at 250. Mm. And this was a couple of years ago, but it was all, it was less voice conversations and it was all in-game text. Right. That's, that's the separation. So right. I could be a form of Mr. Social Guy in text in a game talking to other gamers playing the same game. Yeah. But some of my closest friends now are all, are the majority are online and some of them came from that space or mm. came from work that I did. Or one of them, one of my closest friends, I actually met through Twitter about 10 years ago. That's a new one. <laughs> so I, and I've, I've never met them in person, but this friendship has persisted. And now with Twitch, I'm meeting a lot more people and make, and I'm more prepared to understand the friendships that can come out of that because of those previous gaming relationships and mm. friendships compared to now. So it, it's something that I understood, but the last year and a half has cemented it. Because, you know, uh, people refer to this, this is the thing that I was discussing with my wife not long ago, is that I have stopped thinking of lockdown in my head as lockdown. Hmm. And I start referring to it as the great reset. Right. Because it's reset a lot of people's lives. Yes, probably not how um, how it's how that term is recognized by some conspiracy theorists but mm. um, <laughs> I mean yes yeah I, I, I think there is is definitely that and I mean even I can see that clearly there's been something like that for you because of a conversation actually the conversation I was talking about earlier where I realized just how long ago me and you had interacted and it was far mm. longer ago than I'd realized so you'd kind of just been there um, because it had been, I think maybe the very, I mean, very early days. Because my 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 original kind of time on on Twitch was, I don't know, fuck, I was doing. I had no, you know, it was, yeah. it was turn on a camera and rant about a film. That was that was me. That was that was what it was. Um, and you'd basically been around since those days. So it's obviously there's there's the interaction for you really wasn't. It hadn't it hadn't progressed as it had done as you say now it's it's got it's got more and more so it's been it's been a different thing for you so do you think there's anything this is this is the wrong way of putting it but it's hard to think of another way of putting it do you think there's anything for you left to learn in terms of yourself your past your tox your past toxicity towards you the past toxicity you gave out is there anything left to learn for you or do you think you're in the um in the place now where the only learning you have to do is the same kind of learning as everybody else does when they get to a certain age. No, there's always something new to learn about myself because, you know, I've grown up over the course of so many, when you think about it, Gen X and elder millennials, we've had more historic events happen in succession than a lot of other generations, except for maybe the world war two generation. Yeah, I mean, my, 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 that'd be the silent generation. That'd be my parents. Yes. Born during yeah. the boy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're quite right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of in my head. Of course, we had, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the release of yeah. Mandela, the, you know, <laughs> there was, you know, the, the, the AIDS crisis, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes. Um, 9 11. I, I, I was born the year before or the year after Elvis died. So right. that was still in the consciousness of people when I was a little kid. People mm. still talked about Elvis as 
as Elvis, who he's now become, but it was still fresh in my parents' mind. Yeah, it's those little things, isn't it? I actually had a conversation with someone the other day who was asking why when we thought of communism, which again, my education is is better, but it was just because it's automatic. Why, when you think of communism, does someone of my age or similar go Russia? I just went, yeah. because when I was a kid, things still said CCCP on them. That was, the, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember the Berlin Wall falling. I remember the fall of, of, um, of you know, the Soviet Union. Yeah. I remember Russia before it was Russia. So it's, it yeah. is- We still had those nuclear weapon drills yes. where yeah. we were worried about, you know, when that was a thing we were worried about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It's very weird for people to understand how, you know, you're born into a place that where most of the countries, especially for me in Europe, was a completely different landscape. You know, most mm-hmm. of the countries, so many of, especially Eastern Bloc, didn't exist. I mean, yep. it just, <laughs> it just, they just weren't there. And and so it's, it's interesting when you look back on, on some of those and kind of go, yeah, the country the person was born in doesn't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> people get very confused. But yes, you're quite right. We've We've lived through that, so... And the acceleration of technology with the birth of the internet mm. and, you know, growing up with the internet sprawling and mobile phones and wireless and, you know, the, the, the development of computers really started taking off in the 60s and the 70s. And it just catapulted into where it is now. And it's had such a profound impact on our lives at every stage of our lives that it's a lot of things. So learning how to adapt to what's changed now, because now we're in a completely different kind of time where you know the geopolitical situation is completely bonkers. Yes. America's tearing itself apart, which is something that, you know, when we back in the, the <laughs> 90s, we, we kind of used to theorize, like in high school, we'd be like, well, what would happen if America collapsed? And we're all like, no, that won't happen. And it's like, you look at it now and it's like, well, okay, maybe we were wrong. Yeah. So, you know, and all these things and gender identity is now on the table again and sexuality is on the table again, which is not something new in human history, but it's apparently new to people now. So, you know, all of these things are changing. So learning to adapt that, as you know, I'm also in the most privileged group on the planet. I'm a white, heterosexual, cisgender man. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's a lot of learning a different language. Yeah. You know, yeah. four of my children identify as LGBTQ. So understanding that and understanding, you know, how they're affected by the world mm. and understanding things that you know learning about all the things that go with and recognizing my own latent racism and not just racism but also the sexism and things because there's still times where phrases i heard as a kid will pop out of my mouth yep and i have to stop and go wait that's wrong yeah can't say stuff like that because it's it's wrong yeah, it's not I mean, because you're worried about offending people. It's because it's inherently wrong. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it gets, it gets really things that like get really difficult, especially for for me in the UK. Certain words get very difficult for me, 
because they don't mean the same here. Yeah. And it's it's realizing, I think, that we're in a global world. Because um I am gonna I'm gonna be very specific here. I'm gonna literally look them up um to get this right so that I don't offend anyone. Um so um ba, 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 ba. that's the brand. So for instance, there is there is a slur for gay people in the UK mm. means two different things, neither of them a slur. I've actually heard yeah. from some people that it is a slur, but but the only time that they've ever heard it as a slur was when an American was using it. But it, it is fag or faggots. Now, the reason in the UK is a fag is a cigarette. Is, mm-hmm. is the, you, you get the fag end of a cigarette. And then the other one is a faggot, which is um, literally because it's a specific brand. Everyone knows the brand is Mr. Brain's um, brand faggots. And they're basically the English version of a Swedish meat, meat yeah. English version of a Swedish meatball. And so Mm -hmm. if you said to me that, and even when the first time I heard it as a slur, I did not recognize it as a slur. It's not in my head as that. And I have to be very, and especially on Twitch, it becomes very interesting because you're there going, do I, how, how, what's the context they've used certain words in? Because that may not, that may not mean what we, what we think. You know, I've also heard, for instance, somebody banned someone and they ended up did saying something else, but they used the R kid. Now, mm-hmm. they took that as meaning retard. And it mm-hmm. isn't. In the UK, our kid is how you talk about a relative in the North. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it does become, as you say, I think for our generation, when we were kids, I never knew these slurs. These were slurs. Yeah. In the same way that people of um, my generation have no idea in America that in the UK, these have not like they're not, not even latently nothing to do with any kind of slur and yeah. so for us to understand each other since there's this new global network and everything else is very difficult and i suppose it, it is that thing of like trying to do trying to realize what the hell is going on and, and for yourself with lgbt um children it's it's that kind of thing of going right okay all the shit i knew from when i was a kid that's fucked that's that's completely wrong yeah. and, you know no matter how um, well or nicely you're brought up, even, I, I don't, you know, I, I come from very um, understanding parents. My, my mother in, on mental health is very good, given the fact that she's silent generation, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, you look back at your childhood and go, oh, no, that was wrong. That was fucking yeah. bad. That was like yeah. the most especially, from, especially a lot of the humor, the jokes. Oh god, yeah, 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 yes, right. Yeah, so the humor was just not; it, it, it wasn't the same, and it was it's it, it it's sometimes forgiven because the humor was being made by people of that orientation, um, creed, or something. People go, "Oh well, they did it, so it doesn't matter." And you know, they're going, "Yeah, but that, they did it because it's the only way they can get a fucking job." Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you tell uh, yeah. somebody that's gay, "Well, we'll give you the job, but you've got to wear pink and mince around." And then you go, oh, well, it's their fault they did it. Well, no, because the only reason they could get a fucking employment was you treating them like that. So it's not an excuse for you to say it. Because I always love that excuse that people go, oh, yeah, but they did it. So it's fine. It's like, no, if they are at the top of if they're at the top of the tree taking the piss, that's different. They were not. You know, this is Mm -hmm. this is a joke against them, not by them. That's a very, very different thing. You know, people that, that make jokes about mental health who suffer from mental health 
and are making it off their own bat, that's very different to a TV show like um, The Good Fucking Doctor. Yes. Just goes, hey, look, autism. It's this really weird kid that knows stuff. It's like, no, you mm-hmm. fucking idiots. Like, it's not the same. It's very different. You know, when, when you get, you get, for instance, um, I think a bar none from TikTok who goes on and is very direct and very kind of aggressive, aggressive in, in a certain way about mental health um, and mm-hmm. about alcohol. And he basically freely admits without really admitting it that he's an alcoholic that has been suicidal, who's lost um, friends because he's, ex- he's ex-military. He's, he's basically going, look, I'm fucked. I'm making these jokes because they're the only way I can deal with it. And I'm an asshole mm-hmm. because I'm because of all this. And he's quite open about it. And I think that's the big difference that a lot of us have had to learn more because we didn't see two sides of it in the past. We saw one side of it and it was the piss take. Um, And I think especially Gen X and elder millennials, that crossover is when we are far harsher than I think, because there's this idea that Gen X is a really dark human. I'm like, no, you don't quite understand just how fucking harsh we are to each other. Is that very, very, very toxic, really, um, behavior. I mean, I've said to people, I am, you said about being a privileged position. I am, I, I cannot think of a more, thing that that should that should be shown as don't be this as me i am massively privileged um my voice alone should tell that to many people um on top of that i i am i am although not i am hopefully not acting within but i'm the result of toxic masculinity by far i'm i have i've been doing uh, martial arts and and some kind of tournament fighting since i was four years old I'm a, I'm an ex, you know, my, my day job effectively at one point was effectively teaching people how to beat each other up. You know, that's mm-hmm. it is, it is what it is. And it's very difficult for, I think, for many of us to find our feet in a world that seems to have taken the rug from underneath us. Um, the big difference, I think, for, for people like ourselves is that we are prepared to go looking for it. And many others have just gone, no, I'm going to stick where I am. It's like, oh, you fucking idiots. But that, yeah, of course, that is something that we're still discovering about ourselves because the, the world is consistently moving, despite what flat earthers try, uh, try and make us think. Um, you know, uh, if any flat earthers out there, please unfollow because you're a fucking idiot. Um, you know, in fact, you probably can't find the, the, the follow button anyway, so we're fine. Um, and, and YouTube, screw you if you're gonna have a go at me for that. Um, but it, it is that it is that kind of finding that we've got to learn more potentially. And I, I, and I think you're right in in separating elder millennials um, because there was definitely changes in the early nineties. Um, yes, that, that, that separates. You know, for instance, I mean, the big one for me is I remember a time. Of, I remember saying this. I remember saying it to my. Um, I think it was my niece about training in martial arts. And she's like, oh yeah, but you could train me like you used to be trained. I just went, no, I fucking couldn't. I was, I was like, um, that kind of training doesn't happen anymore. You know, the, the, I was trained in the eighties. The, the martial arts came over really to the UK in the seventies and mm-hmm. the eighties, it was still in the vein of how they would do it back where they were from. And then the nineties was when parents went, sorry, what are you doing to our kids? Um, <laughs> you're, 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 you're throwing them at the ground at high speed with, okay, good. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're hitting them with things. And it is the, the definite change there, I think. And I think that's where 
very expressly that the latchkey kid thing disappeared was the kind of 91 92 kind of disappearing yeah. um okay so i mean is there anything else that you think i mean because i as most people that have ever watched this podcast or ever seen me on twitch i never shut the fuck up and i know <laughs> I, I talk over people so is there anything that you um feel that we haven't covered that you'd like to say or any message for anyone potentially in a situation that you were in or anything like that uh well the one thing i i was thinking about was that with with back in that situation when friends were saying the things like i wish i had known mm. the thing about that that people don't realize when they say that it actually makes the people the survivors of the abuse or the situation it actually makes them feel guilty mm. because they feel guilty for not telling them you know when you keep hearing i wish you had told me i wish i had known that you internalize that and you think oh this is my fault they feel guilty because i didn't tell them so you end up feeling guilty for that which isn't you know it, it's a normal reaction mm. at the time but nobody really realizes how much that can affect people because people are interjecting themselves into your situation because they don't know right so they feel like they have to say something and they think it's comforting but it's not right so would you would you say if somebody finds themselves in that situation then to basically just just keep it as looking to the future rather than anything retrospective yes rather than saying i wish i had known i wish i could have done something it's what can i do now right is there anything i can do now yeah because at it's in very in the moment mm. you know what what has happened has happened it's irrevocable it cannot be changed it's what you do from that moment going forward is what really matters right okay that's i mean that, i think that's that's it's always good to have that little bit of advice for people especially actually advice for for maybe others around because we don't hear that, that often many people have advice for a past self but very rarely do they have advice for someone who maybe just doesn't know the, the right steps so i think there's some something that people out there should should listen to you know if you if you if you do come across this try and fight a little bit against your urge to just be what you think is comforting because in the long run it may not be um mm -hmm. obviously everyone is different but i i think you know that there's obviously Andrew has been through this so it's very different so um okay well i, I think we've kind of covered most things there thank you everyone for joining us thank you for, for joining us around us um it's been very interesting i think we've We've gone round the houses a lot. That is down to me. But it's also, I feel, what a podcast should be. If we stuck on one subject, I think it becomes very boring very quickly. Um, so I hope everyone's enjoyed this. Um, next time, we will hopefully um, be talking to someone that me and Andrew both know, Wrecked Wizard, about um, his interactions uh, with uh, video games specifically and health and everything else. And we're going to um, have a chat with him about things as well. So um, we will see you all next time with that. And thank you all for joining us. Thanks, everyone.